All right, turn to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to continue our series on Beyond, talking about worship. And this week, the title of the message is The Greatest Hindrance of Worship. The Greatest Hindrance of Worship. This past week, I uh, was preaching for Pastor Jack Hayford in a conference, and I said to Pastor Jack, I need a place to study to prepare my weekend message for Gateway. And Pastor Jack said, well, why don't you just use my office? So, this sermon was prepared in Jack Hayford's office. <laughs> so it, it's going to be a great sermon. I just want you to know that. And Pastor Jack will be here two weeks from today. The weekend after Thanksgiving, he'll be speaking. So if you've never heard Pastor Jack, you want to be here. If you want to invite some friends or bring some people with you, that's going to be a great, great message, great weekend, all right? The greatest hindrance of worship is what I want to speak to you about. The greatest hindrance of worship. Remember, worship is expressing our love to God. Uh, one of the worship leaders uh, said a few weeks ago, uh, and I was talking to him about it afterwards, he said, let's express our worship. And I said to him, that's really not right because worship is express love. In other words, you wouldn't say, let's express our love expressed. You would, I, I, let's express our expressed love. If it's worship, it's expressed. If it's worship, it's love. Please remember this definition. I told uh, Pastor Jack that this last week. He said, uh, I said, I, here's the definition God gave me. Here's what he said. That's the best definition I've ever heard of worship. It is love expressed. Listen to me carefully. If it's not love, it's not worship. If it's not in your heart, it's not worship. But if it's not, if it doesn't get out of your heart, it's not worship. If it's not expressed, it's not worship. We have to express our worship to God. So, what is the greatest hindrance to expressing our love for God? Let me read you uh, just a, a chorus from a Chris Tomlin song. He wrote the song, uh, How Great Is Our God, that we sing. Listen to this chorus. I want to live like there's no tomorrow. I want to dance like no one's around. I want to sing like nobody's listening before I lay my body down. I want to give like I have plenty. I want to love like I'm not afraid. I want to be the man I was meant to be. I want to be the way I was made. All right, here's question number one, and then I'm going to tell you why I read that song. Question one is, what is the greatest hindrance of worship? Here's the answer, fear. What is the greatest hindrance of me expressing my love to God, fear, fear of people, fear of what someone might think, fear of what someone might say. That's why he writes in this song, I want to dance like no one's around. I want to sing like nobody's listening. Why? Because we're concerned about people listening. We're concerned about people watching. We're concerned about people saying something or thinking something about us, and we are controlled many times by the fear of people. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Here it is in the message. The fear of human opinion disables. Trusting in God protects you from that. Now, let me give you a definition of the fear of man. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write it down. And if you're not taking notes, I want you to write it down. Here's my definition of the fear of man. It's caring more about what people think than about what God thinks. That's the fear of man. If you care more about what people think than what God thinks. If you respect what people think more than you respect God. See, this when we talk about the fear of man or the fear of God, it's, it's really respect. 
Who do you respect more? Who do you honor more? Do you understand that if you respect what people think more than what God thinks, you're actually worshiping people. Because you're putting people in a higher place than God. See, you you worship what you fear the most. That is such an odd statement that people just can't quite get over. You worship what you fear the most. Let, Let me prove it to you. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt... And, and Moses went up on the mountain to get the law, the Ten Commandments. They built, and see if you can finish this sentence for me, they built a golden calf, right? Or cow, a golden calf. Why? Because they feared hunger. They feared starving in the wilderness. They said it over and over and over to Moses. Why did you bring us out in this wilderness to starve? Why did you bring us out here to die? They said it over and over again. So they, they, why didn't they build a golden butterfly? Because you can't eat butterflies. (laughs) They built a golden calf. So whatever you fear the most is what you worship. So the greatest hindrance to us expressing our love to God is fear. Fear what people think. Fear what people say. It's the fear of man. Now, here's point two. What causes the greatest hindrance of worship? Remember, we've already defined the greatest hindrance of worship as fear. So what causes fear? I want you to think about that for a moment. I had to think about this a lot this week. It was, it was like the Lord on the plane on the way out to California on Monday, the Lord gave me these three points. What is the greatest hindrance? What causes the greatest hindrance? And the third would be what conquers. And I thought, wow, great, what great points. And then I, I, I thought, well, I know what the greatest hindrance is. It's fear. But then as I started thinking, what causes fear? What causes fear? What's the root of fear? Well, let's ask ourselves this. When did fear come into the world? <laughs> now, go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is the fall of Adam and Eve. And let me show you what happened right after the fall. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, before we, keep, before we go on, let's stop for a moment. They hid from the presence of God. You know what that is? That's the opposite of worship. Worship is entering the presence of God. Come into his courts with thanksgiving. Enter his gates with praise. Right? Entering his gates. Coming into his presence. Coming into the presence of God. That's worship. That's when we express our love, we enter his presence. When sin came into the world, when fear came into the world, they did the exact opposite of worship. Now look at verse 9. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Now, we know the greatest hindrance of worship is fear, fear of what people think, fear of rejection. So here's Adam and Eve. They sin, and the first response to sin is fear. So what what causes fear? Well, sin does. There was no fear until sin came in the world. Everyone agree with that? No fear until sin came in the world. No improper fear of God. No fear of judgment. No fear of punishment from God until sin came in the world. But I think there's also a clue here that helps me a little bit more. Because if I say, well, what causes fear? Sin. Okay, then I guess I need to stop sinning. Well, I think there's something else here. If you look at verse 10 again, watch what it says. So I said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid... Because. 
because I was naked and I hid myself. Can I tell you what's between sin and fear? Shame. In essence, if you want to look at it really, sin is, causes shame and shame causes fear. Think, think about this. Children, little children, don't know the difference between right and wrong. And they have no shame. And what will little children do when they're still little? They'll run around naked. Is that true? Anybody here had kids? I was at a guy's house one time, and his three-year-old boy and two-year-old daughter had just taken a bath, and they came in to tell him goodnight in the living room where he and I were talking completely naked. (laughs) Just ran in the room, waved to me, Jumped up in his lap, told him good night, and then came over and told me good night. No shame. And no modesty either. Now, I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't be modest. I'm not starting, we're not starting something new at the satellite campus, by the way. I'm not going over there, I can tell you that right now. I'm not saying that. Not saying that at all. Well, what I am saying is that until we know that there's something to be embarrassed about, there's no shame and there's no fear. There's no fear. Until we understand right from wrong. So sin causes shame and shame causes fear. And if we have shame, we will not worship God because there's a separation and we're afraid. I remember, have you ever, embarrassment comes from shame. We get embarrassed because we're ashamed. I remember the first time God told me to shout. And by the way, shouting's in the Bible. Uh, A lady came to me one time who was visiting here. It was her first time or second time here at the church. And she asked me after the service, she had not been in a service where people lifted their hands, uh, where people shouted to the Lord, where people sang expressively. She just hadn't been in a church like that. And I understand that. I came from a church like that as well. But she asked me a very important question. She said, are these expressions of worship that I see, are these charismatic expressions? And I said, no, ma'am, they're not. They are biblical expressions. And you need to understand that. And I understand that we don't all express our love the same way, but there are some biblical expressions of worship. The Bible says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Now, let me clarify that. It doesn't say if that's okay with your religious background. It says, you lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. So it doesn't matter whether you feel comfortable or not. And there's only one reason that you wouldn't lift your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Since the Bible says to, there's only one reason you disobey the Word of God. And that's the fear of what people might think. So I remember the first time God told me to shout to him. Let me tell you where I was. I was out in the middle of nowhere. I was in the woods, spending time with God. I mean in the woods, miles away from any living person, any human being. In the woods, spending time reading my Bible, and I came across shout. They shouted to God, and and I was just reading, and the Lord kind of interrupted my reading of the scriptures, the holy scriptures, and said to me, shout. And I said, now? Here? 
Yeah. Shout to me. So I'm out in the middle of the woods, and I'm kind of like, Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise you, Lord. He said to me, that's not shouting. I want you to shout to me. So finally I started, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then I started to look around. Here's what I remember about that. I embarrassed myself in front of me. (laughs) There was no one else there. And I was embarrassed. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. That's how deeply rooted shame is in many of us. So we got to get over it. Now, let me tell you about this pen. Let me show you a picture of this pen so you can see it up close on the screens. Uh, and you, and I know it's difficult to see, but can some of you in the military, you might recognize, how many of you in the military recognize this pen? Can I see your, okay. This is a special forces pen means you served in the special forces. I, the, uh, it's amazing that uh, before the service last night, I was walking down the aisle, and this person passed me, one of our veterans, and he passed, he said, Hey, Pastor Robert, like that, and he saw this pen, you know. And uh, uh, the only way you can get this pen is to serve in special forces or to have a friend. <laughs> this veteran that passed me last night was thinking, I didn't think that guy was that tough. <laughs> um, but I'm sharing my message this past week with Pastor Jack's assistant because Pastor Jack said, tell me what you're preaching the next two weeks so I can come in on the heels of that and build on what you've said and all. So I'm sharing it with Pastor Jack's assistant. And while I'm sharing about shame, I, and I, I said this to him, all of a sudden I'm just talking about shame, and he, I said to him, you know, Satan is so good at putting shame on us that he'll even cause us to feel shame even when we do something right. And Pastor Jack's assistant, who's a man named Bill Shoemate, he's typing this for Pastor Jack, and he stops typing. And he starts crying. And he turns around, and he has this pen on. And he takes it off, and he hands it to me. And he said, this pen, he tells me something about the special forces. And he tells me some of the things that he had to do in, in war to win. And he said, for years, I wouldn't wear this pen Because every time I would wear it, I would be ashamed. And he said to me, you just help me to understand that it was Satan that was causing me ashamed. And I want to say something to every veteran that's here. Don't ever feel ashamed for defending our country. Don't ever let the enemy put shame on you for that. Ever. And so he... He hands me this pen, and he says, I want you to have this. I said, I, I can't take this. He said, I have more. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> All right, here's the third question that I want to ask you. What conquers the greatest hindrance of worship? In other words, what conquers fear? So we figured out what causes it. What causes it is shame. Shame causes us to be afraid of what people might think. All right, well, what conquers then Fear. What conquers fear? Well, if it's fear of rejection, which is what we're feeling, then what conquers it is acceptance. And I want you to look. Now look at Ephesians chapter 1. I want to show you in Ephesians chapter 1 that we are already accepted by God. Here's the problem that most people think, and this is the problem with wrong doctrine. We think that if we do well, we will be accepted one day by God. That's false because you have to understand that you can never do well enough. (laughs) 
And Jesus already did well, so on the basis of Jesus, we've already been accepted. It's not that we're going to be accepted one day. We've already been accepted. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Is that past tense or future tense? Past. In other words, God has already blessed us with a very few small spiritual blessings. No, with how many? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us, past tense, in Him, before the foundation of the world. That was a long time ago, by the way. That we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Now, before we go on, let me ask you a question. How can we be without blame before God? Grace. It's the only way. Only way. Having, verse 5, having predestined the past tense us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us, he made, past tense, us accepted, past tense, in the beloved. Let me tell you what this passage says. According to this passage, I'm blessed, forgiven, adopted, and accepted. Already. Right now, I'm blessed, I'm forgiven, I'm adopted, and I'm accepted. Not if I do well, not one day if I do everything right, but on the basis of what Jesus did. Now listen to me carefully. You are either, you either have to believe one way or the other. You can't believe in between. There is no in between. It's heaven or hell. There's no purgatory. Right? It's heaven or hell. All right, listen to me carefully. It's grace or works. You can't believe in both. Ephesians 2, if you just look there, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. Would everyone say those three words? Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, let me tell you what this means, lest anyone should boast. When you see me in heaven, there's not one of you that's going to say to me, Pastor Robert, I did it. I just want you to know, I did it. I kept the faith, and I got myself here. No, you didn't. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. It's not your faith. The life that I've been crucified with Christ. The life which I live now, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I tell you, this is, it's the greatest thing in the world. When you figure out that Jesus did it for you. And all you have to do is receive Jesus. For by grace you've been saved. I, I talked to a, while, a guy a while back. He said, well, I don't believe it's works that saves us. I don't believe that, but I believe it's faith. I said, I, I said oh, wait, wait. You, you believe we're saved by faith. He said, that's right. I said, that's where I finally got you. Because the Bible doesn't say we're saved by faith. It says we're saved by grace through faith. And what you've done is you've made faith a work. I'm still not saved by faith. I'm saved through faith because I believe, but I'm saved by grace. Let me show you one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Romans eleven six. And if it's by grace, then it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace isn't grace. Hope you understand. This is really clear. <laughs> and if it's works, but if it's works, it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. All right, here's what he's saying. It's, it's one or the other. You can't do both. You can't have both. Because, let me tell you why. Grace is free, and works is earned. 
So let me read this verse to you that way. Here's what he's saying. If it's free, you can't earn it. Otherwise, free is not free. There's a catch. Or if it's earned, it's not free. Otherwise, earned is not earned. You follow me? Okay, so I'd just like everyone right now to choose who's here at Gateway Church. Do you want to get to heaven by grace or works? Everyone that votes for grace, raise your hand. Thank you. It's the only way you're going to get there. That's it. Now, here's, here, why am I telling you this? Because an incorrect and improper understanding of grace is what allows fear to stay in your life. That's what allows fear. If you have a difficulty with fear... It's because you think you still have to do something to get God to accept you. Instead of you're already accepted. Past tense. Do you understand? When I got born again, I started living eternally. It doesn't start when I die. It started when I died. To self. And when I died to self, my spirit became alive, and I'm living. I'm going to live forever from now on. My body's going to die one day, but I am going to live forever. My spirit, I've already been accepted by grace, not by works. Now, I'm going to read you a passage of Scripture, and then just make the point. In Luke 15, you don't have to turn to it. In Luke 15, three stories. We know, Luke, we know one really well. We call it the prodigal son. You ever heard of the prodigal son? But there are three stories. One is the lost sheep. A shepherd had a hundred sheep, lost one, left the 99, went and got the one, right? A woman had ten coins, lost one, uh, left the nine, you know, in a box, whatever, went looking for the one, found it. A, a man had two sons, lost one, looked for him, found him. All right, here's the thing. Stood on the front porch every day looking for him. The, really, Luke 15 is the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Even though we call it the prodigal, it's the lost son, Okay. I'm going to read you just a portion, and I want you to notice what every person did when he found what he was looking for, or she found it. All right, watch this. Luke 15, verse 5. And when he has found it, this is the sheep, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Verse 9, here's the coin. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the peace which I lost. Verse 22, But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry or rejoice. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to... Rejoice. Okay, when you've lost something and you find what you're looking for, what's the first thing that you do? No. That's what I wanted you to say. That's the second thing. The first thing you do is you stop looking for it. You never find something and keep looking for it. Is that right? Okay, let's just say that I've lost my keys, all right? And so I'm looking for my keys, and I'm looking all over. I can't find my keys. Oh, here's my keys. Okay, let me see if I can find my keys. Let me keep looking. And Debbie says to me, what are you looking for? I'm looking for my keys. Thought you found them. I did. I'm just going to keep looking. 
You don't do that, right? That's why this statement is always true. I know they will be in the last place I look. Of course they will. Because you never find them and keep looking. Is that correct? Okay. Why am I saying this? Listen to me carefully. You've got to catch this. You've got to catch it. We were born looking for favor with God. All of us. We were all born after Adam and Eve fell. So we were all born hiding from God. We were all born afraid of God. We were born that way. All of us. But we were born again accepted. And, all right, now what's the second thing you do when you find what you're looking for? Rejoice, right? First thing is you stop looking for it. Second thing is rejoice. Okay, listen to me carefully. Please, 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 please catch this. The reason that many of you aren't rejoicing is because you haven't stopped looking for it. Please hear this. You were born looking for favor with God. Please believe me when I tell you, you got it. You got it through Jesus. That's why when, when Pastor Thomas stands up here and at the first of the service reads a verse or something and then says to us, let's worship. Let's rejoice. That's why some of you say, yes, let's rejoice. Because I found favor with God. I was looking for it and I found it. I can stop looking for it and I can find it. But you know why some of you won't rejoice? Because you're still trying to earn it. You're still trying to get it. And so when Pastor Thomas says, let's worship, here's what the enemy says to you. Well, you can't do that this week. Because you didn't find favor with God this week. God's not pleased with you. Listen to me. He's pleased with Jesus. And you're in Christ. I, I don't know how to get you to catch grace. It's so good if you catch it. Because if you say, well, you know, last, last Sunday I, I made a commitment. I remember in church I said, God, I'm going to pray and read my Bible every day. I'm going to pray and read my Bible every day. And then did you do it? No, most of you didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't pray and read my Bible every day, so I really can't rejoice this week. Listen to me very, very carefully. Jesus prayed and read his Bible every day. <laughs> he fulfilled the law to the John And I'm not saying that that's the law, because we should pray, we should read our Bible, but that's not what go is what's going to cause us to be accepted. So even if you didn't pray and read your Bible last week, you can still rejoice. Because you're accepted because of what Jesus did. You got it? So, what's, what, what's the greatest hindrance of worship? Fear. What causes fear? Shame. And shame comes from the enemy. And Jesus took all of our shame on the cross. So what conquers it? What conquers it is understanding that we're accepted on the basis of what Jesus did, not what we did. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? If you're here today and you don't know if you died, you'd go to heaven. We want to pray with you. We want to help you. We want to minister to you. In just a moment, 
we're going to have leaders here at the front. And I want you to come at that time if you need prayer. If you need prayer for any area of your life, I want you to come. If you're here and you don't know if you died, you go to heaven. If you're uh, away from God, if you would be, if you consider yourself, I'm the prodigal son, I'm the prodigal daughter. If that's you, then in just a moment, I want to pray. After I pray, we'll stand and I want you to come for ministry. But here's the other thing. If you're here and you're a leader, if you're here and you're a believer, but you're going through something and you need prayer, you need ministry, come. Please don't ever not come. Maybe you say, listen, I need to get set free from fear and shame. I've had this stuff my whole life. I want to get set free. Come, let us pray for you. Let us minister to you. After I pray, we're going to stand. As soon as we stand, you just stand up and step out and come. And let us pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray you'll draw every person that needs any type of ministry. In Jesus' name, amen.